Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Brennan. We, we are, are the Farm, Farm Finders. Finders. When we first got married, we dreamed of owning land and building a self-sufficient lifestyle. But we soon saw that buying land was almost out of reach. Land was expensive and hard to finance. But we couldn't just give up on our dream of being landowners. To be honest, it was a pretty discouraging problem. But we were determined to find a solution, so we started a company called The Farm Finders to find properties that anyone could afford. That was a few years back, and today we're proud to say we've helped hundreds of people make their landowning dreams a reality. There's something inside each of us that wants a piece of land to call our own. Here at The Farm Finders, we can make that happen. If you're like us and dream of owning land, then check out our website at thefarmfinders.com to find that perfect property. Take advantage of our no credit check, zero interest owner financing with payments as low as $50 a month with our secure online checkout. It's easy to make any property yours with just a few clicks. So don't just dream, do something. Visit thefarmfinders.com today. Let's, Let's make, make you a landowner. Now you can hear us around the world, streaming 24 7 at safetyfm.com. Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Well, it does appear that a lot of you are enjoying this mini-series that we have been doing over the last few weeks. If you haven't had a chance, please take a moment and take a listen to the pre-accident investigation with Dr. Todd Conklin, also known as the Toddcast. On his latest episode, he had Tony Mashera, Rob Fisher, Shane Butch, and of course himself talking about the early days of human performance. I'm going to say this is kind of an add-on to this particular mini-series. If you take a listen, it gives you some other context to the story. So I'm not going to take too much time before we get this started, but at the end of the episode, come on back over. We'll take a listen, do a small recap and move forward from there. Enjoy it now here on Safety FM. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now... The Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. Todd Conklin. When it came out, everybody acted like they read it, but you could totally tell who hadn't read it. And so when you find people that hadn't read it, you'd kind of bust their chops and make them read it. And then they'd come back and say, God, that's a really, it was a really, that I think is, I mean, I can, I can say this, I think, without making uh, Sydney too angry at me. That book was really powerful. It was his first one, and that really colored a lot of the DOE handbook. Not so much the tool, not not volume two, the tools, but certainly volume one, the one that Lamar put together with everybody's help um, on sort of the the foundations, the concepts. That book was I can't I can't underestimate how important that first book was. 
Shane Bush. Okay. Well, and then I guess that, let me ask kind of just some backstory questions, if you don't mind, because as I've gone down this path, really doing a lot of research in the different people that have been involved with this, there's a name that comes up and it doesn't come up often, but it does come up from time to time. Who exactly is Lamar Palmer? Oh, man, Lamar Palmer. I'll be honest with you, of all the unsung heroes in the human performance world is Lamar Palmer. Um, that that man, if it wasn't for him, neither Todd uh, or I or a lot of other people would have not had the success. So his role, what happened is when Earl Carnes and I and Todd uh, were running around the country teaching classes and DOE really started buying into this, they decided, well, let's produce some DOE manuals so we don't have to keep referencing commercial nuclear power plants. And by the way, some people are turned off as soon as you say commercial nuclear power plants because like, oh man, triple redundancy, you're going to pack on the defenses, you're going to... And so I'm careful in how I use it. I use it, but I'm careful in the audience. So DOE wanted to have DOE spin. So what they did is they took all of Info's material and basically gave it a, a DOE twist rather than events. They'd call them occurrences rather than, um, uh, again, talking about um, uh, the nuclear power plant uh, statistics. They talked about DOE statistics. But Lamar Palmer was the author of both the DOE book one and two. And very few people know that. In fact, I just um, ran into him up. He's, at, he's retired in the Tri-Cities right now. And I mentioned to him that I have handed... I call it his manual because that's just a term of endearment for me because this man uh, had so much to do with my career and my success. But I tell him, uh, Lamar, unbeknownst to you, this manual is in 17 countries I've been in. And I know Todd references it quite a bit, but he was, and, and I've done work in 44 of the 50 states, many of them numerous times. And I always hand it out. I'm getting ready to go to Louisiana next week. I'll hand out the Dewey manual. I do my Vegas classes. I hand out the Dewey manual. And uh, it was so cool because the man almost got a tear in his eye. And he says, you know, all these years I've wondered, did I really make a difference? Did I really make a difference? And it was so sad to me because I, I assumed he knew. But he put his heart and soul into that manual and his name doesn't appear anywhere. But in my opinion, I put him next to Earl Carnes at the top of the list as to why we've, as a community of practice, had such success. Lamar Palmer. So how so how close is this to the original documents that you were working on? I mean, I would imagine there's some editing that probably had to go into place, but how close is it to the original, I guess, we'll say the original outline that was built off of? How close is it? I think it's I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. There was lots of, there were lots of little uh, you know, change this, change that, word word uh, incentive structure changes and things like that, but but basically the the building blocks and the uh, elements uh, within those building blocks are pretty much the way that was written. So at this particular time, with a lot of the information coming from INPO, is Tony Mashera the one that's doing the work from the INPO side and you're interacting with him? No, we, we basically, I didn't, I didn't do hard, I, I don't remember any, any, uh, interface with INPO after I got the, their materials. We had their materials. We had their uh, their handbooks, and uh, we used us used those as our takeoff. Now, I guess looking forward now, or looking to our current standpoint, 
I guess it's, do you find it interesting on how people have actually taken those documents and now are addressing this more along the lines of a new version of safety or safety 2.0, as some people refer to it? Are you impressed that they're still kind of, these documents are still standing the test of time? Yes, I think that's, I think that uh, speaks well uh, for the uh, standard it's, itself. And, uh, you know, uh, like all DOE materials that are written by contractors, nobody gets to put their name on them. Uh, they're all ghostwritten, and that's the way this was. This is ghostwritten. I was the ghostwriter, but... Uh, DOE documents, handbooks, uh, uh, procedures, uh, high-level uh, documents, uh, they, they'll, they'll have a DOE uh, print on them, but, but the, the, the people who actually write them, uh, if they're contractors, you never see that. You never see their name in print. I find it so oh. interesting on how it works because you're ghostwriting this material that essentially is going to change not just that industry, it's going to change several industries and we're talking years later and we're, they're still having a, an impact on what people are doing yes, out in the I field. Yeah, I think that speaks well for DOE. You know, uh, one thing about the Department of Energy, when they take on a project that they believe in, uh, which they did, they did believe in this project. And uh, several of the facilities, including the one where Shane Bush is from, the Idaho National Laboratory, uh, his top management put a lot of money and effort and time in ensuring that literally all the people at the Idaho lab uh, received instruction on human performance improvement. And uh, there, were other, there were other locales where that was the case. Now, uh, the fact that, that other entities are using these materials or making use of them plays well for the Department of Energy, I think. And that's as it should be. Well, if you had to look back right now and say how much time you invested doing these documents, what are you guesstimating? Uh... I would say my own personal time. Uh, probably the writing, the rewrites, uh, the edits that took place, and you know, the the way the review system works in DOE is you are required to respond to every. Uh, every comment made by a commenter, they they don't they don't say they do not say okay we're going to take comments from from twenty people. Anybody who has access to the materials and wants to re, wants to read them and report on them, uh, the initial writer is required to respond to every comment they make now you don't have to accept every comment but you have to respond to every comment so the review process took a long time i spent probably uh 20 25 percent of my total time in the review process 
Well, and we're, and we're talking say, about two very large manuals here. Where, I mean, we're not talking about very small items. So this is, I mean, wow, that's amazing. 25% of your time no, doing that. I, that's what I was saying. I spent two years, uh, and it was oh, nearly full-time, I would say. At least one year was full-time, and the other year was maybe half-time. Probably 3,000 hours. Wow. Well, it's it's interesting just hearing that because that's a lot of time to be invested into this, but just realizing what kind of impact it's going to have later down the road. I mean, of course, it has an impact the moment that they're yet released, but also the impact that they're still having currently. And the amazing part is that we're talking like 25 years, and a lot of people still look at it and go, hey, this is the new version of safety, and it's like new version of safety. It's amazing that there was a group of people that got together and were able to come up with concepts that are still being looked at as a new view and refreshing and the interesting part about it is that when i talk to different people they say that only about probably about 10 percent of organizations are currently using this so there's still such a large market available that this can actually tie into and it's just i look at it and i go how did you have so much knowledge in regards of being able to form this to make sense to be used in other items yeah, I I was just talking with uh, the, the man that I worked for for 14 years. His name is Mike Shaner. Maybe you've heard his name. Mike Shaner is uh, the owner of MAS Consultants. And he told me the other day that he's trained over a thousand people uh, on human performance improvement. He's been doing it for years as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, the interesting thing is that it has application, Jay, as I'm sure you're well aware. It has application not just for the man who's pushing buttons in the control room or the maintainer who's uh, repacking a pump, but it has application all across the spectrum for, for people who do hands-on work and for people who do uh, uh, not only field work but office work. Uh, people who write procedures, uh, managers who oversee operations. I mean, it just that the thing that's interesting about human performance improvement is that human error accounts for about 80% of all accidents, but within the concept of, of uh, error itself, uh, the individual is only responsible for about 30% and 70% is the organization. Earl Carnes, NPO, its job was to connect the nuclear power industry in the United States through communication flows, joint standardization, training, leadership development, lessons learned systems, operating experience sharing, that kind of stuff, to drive through communication and collaborative improvement efforts. Over here, you don't even know what your neighbor's doing. Well, it was not the same thing as MPO or the commercial nuclear power industry, but it was in a way, it's still going on today, but it was to establish those social linkages to reach outside to the rest of the world, you know, Info reached out to FAA as an example, okay, uh, you know, to see what what, uh, what they were doing. Well, they started reaching out begrudgingly, 
you know, and looking at knowledge in, in other uh, in other areas, particularly and the commercial nuclear power industry and, and info. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that Admiral Watkins and his people started and that I had the pleasure to be engaged with. And so the first major thing then that happened was called integrated safety management. Safety was a huge thing. But that what they did was that they had a whole bunch of DOE orders uh, that had been hanging around for a long time, but people developed their own ways of working out there. And so as long as it was doing okay, you weren't having big problems, then I'm not going to mess with you. But so a new crew comes to town, they've got all these orders sitting there, and you go, well, I guess we better go find out people complying with them happily. So they go out, and guess what? No, they weren't. They had their own stuff. Okay, they developed it. Well, so you've got headquarters. Somebody says, you're supposed to be inspecting these people. Well, they go out, they got their checklist, they inspect them, and guess what? There was a, you know, a schism. Okay, you people, obviously, because I'm from Washington, I've got a checklist. I don't mean to be pejorative, but this is basically kind of what went on. Uh, and, and you don't meet my checklist, and therefore, you must be dumb. Well, they were brilliant. Okay. <laughs> you, you can... Yeah, 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 you know, it's, uh, I mean, these were, these were the people that developed nuclear science and technology. Okay? I mean, they were. Okay? But did they keep up with commercial standards? No. You know, I mean, if, if the, you got to look at the budget. Okay. So if they're, you know, if you got finished with something over here and it would take a whole lot of money to clean it up, you just shut it down, closed it up, walked away, go to another one. Okay? Why not? Because uh, they did what they were getting paid for. You know, the guys who were in the plant keeping the systems running, same story. They always delivered what they were asked to do for national security, for you know, incredible research and development. I mean, it's just they always delivered. That's that's who they are. They did difficult, impossible jobs that nobody else could do. Todd Conklin. Now, do you feel that that was like an assisted guide to the DOE and INPO stuff at the time then? Is that how you're looking at this? I think it would be more foundational. I think what it did was change the way um, that and, and Jim Reason's books as well, but that changed the way that Shane and I, and to a great extent, Earl and, and, and uh, gosh, there's, there was a, a cast of characters there that did that. It changed the way we taught the class, which then in turn changed the way the handbook was written, which that's when it starts to move a little bit away from the info book. Remember, the info book was written pretty early, and it was really, it was a philosophical as well, very well done. Tony did an amazing job. But it was written kind of under the old view, which was the idea that you would manage human error. And the, the, the Decker book helped us understand that that whole idea of managing error is really seductive, but it's not very practical. And that's when we started really looking more, even more so at kind of a systems approach. So do you feel that he was using the INPO information to be kind of some of the foundational stuff moving forward for what he was doing research-wise for his book? Who's he? Decker? Decker. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I don't think so. I'm going to have to ask him that question. But my guess is he didn't, he probably did not have access to the INPO book because at the time, INPO was really, really, really tight with who got their book. You had to be a member of the INPO um, and you had to be a dues paying member of INPO to have access to their material. And so I would imagine he did not have access to that book. I would actually tell you if it's a chicken and egg conversation, it, it probably started with, 
reason stuff, then some of Decker's stuff, then the Impo Handbook, then Decker's book would have come out. They would have been written kind of in parallel. And then Decker's book uh, and, and all that stuff kind of leads to the DOE Handbook, which we knew we were going to write and we knew it was going to be available publicly. I mean, everybody knew that. But nobody, I mean, Jay, nobody imagined in a million, billion years that anyone would ever read the, the DOE Handbook. Especially as popular as they are now. or yeah, I mean, In a million, billion years. I mean, I just, I kind of thought we were putting together a handbook just for us. I, I knew it would be available. I mean, that, that's fine because it's taxpayer money. Um, so I didn't have any problem with that. But I never imagined any any other industry or any other organization would ever look at it. I mean, you, you just don't think about that. But that's kind of what's been interesting about this journey is that, um it's been really a journey of self-discovery or, or well, self-discovery is accurate, but I would say it's been a journey of each organization discovering about itself. And we never thought about this having um, legs outside of our own companies, our own organizations. I mean, I just, I, it'd be interesting to see what Shane said, but I'll bet you Shane said the same thing. It just, you never ever thought anybody other than our little laboratories would care about this stuff. Shane Bush. No, that's all right. Um, honestly, it was people helping people. In fact, it was so interesting because if you find something that you really are passionate about, and it's it's interesting, and I'm not sure what the conversations were like with the people you mentioned at the beginning of this, but just about every person I know that's been successful with human performance is because they have a passion for it. And that comes across real quickly. I mean, if you're trying to teach something you don't believe in, you're going to be found out very quickly. And so the reward wasn't in the compensation for teaching the class. And I know this sounds warm and fuzzy and all that, but it's true. The reward comes watching people's mindset change, watching them look at things differently, sending me emails two weeks later saying, holy mackerel, I, I, I just never looked at the way. In fact, you've changed the way we look at everything at work now. And the just culture has changed the environment. And people are uh, more willing to talk in the work environment. So now don't get me wrong. I don't do this for free. Um, I, I am compensated, but I have to tell you that after a while, if if you truly don't believe in your product, you're going to have a crisis of conscience because you're out there trying to sell something that you don't believe in. It will never work. So we did. We handed it to everybody else. And and that kind of started us off with this whole sharing thing. When I got uh, when I left the INL for that three year leave, uh, one of the coolest things that happened to me is uh, I wasn't in the union at the time. I was in the union years ago, but uh they showed up my doorstep after I'd given my notice and walked away and everything and gave me a gold watch. This is from the union. And on the back of it, it said engraved friends of the worker. And I thought, dang, how, how? and my dad was a, a um, blue collar worker his whole life. Now my dad died when I was really young, but I have to admit every time I go to these plants and these big things and, and I always think of my dad, but um, what, what better compliment can you get than that? Friends of the worker? Really? Trying to help them and at the same time getting the same compliments from senior managers. Um, I don't it, – it, it's a win-win. It's just a win-win. So I'm going to interrupt the actual interview here for a moment. Now, I have to tell you, when I first started off doing this mini-series, it was pretty interesting because I kept on wondering why we were doing things – and I'm talking about as practitioners and for people that are actually going out there and consulting – on why we were actually still – not giving away the information for free. 
And the original founding fathers, as you hear some of the messaging as we go through, they reference that it was public domain and things along those that extent. Now, what I found interesting is as I'm doing this and not knowing ahead of time that this is going to occur, so I find it interesting, Todd Conklin's consortium releases something called thehophub.org. So the conversation, or really the news story, takes a minor twist here. Because my big complaint behind the news story, and if I have to say it's a complaint, is that we're not giving away the information for free. And here's where the twist starts. And we'll start off here with Shane Bush. Now, Shane, do you believe that we're going down the correct path currently with some uh, on how some of these things are working? I mean, I know that re earlier this week, there was some, a group of people that got together and they put out a website called hophub.org and it's a consortium of information and they've released it now to the general public. Is this the way that it should have been all along? Is that how your general feeling? Because they're giving it away? You know, I, and honestly, I, I, I am, I, I haven't even looked in that in detail because I am so busy with my own stuff, but I, I am one voice and and if it's an opinion, let's make sure that people understand this is an opinion, not, you know, I, oh, I but don't undersell <laughs> yourself. You are a very important well, voice inside of this. I mean, I know that we can say it's one voice, but it's one well, voice that has a lot of influence on where this has been and where it's going. So yeah. let I would I, I love you being humble, but let's be realistic, too. Well, and I appreciate that. But but honestly, if it, here's here's what I see happening is I consider uh, myself and, and, and I'm 50. How old am I? 50, uh, 57 or 58 <laughs> that's an error uh, but I'm going to be leaving soon and if we don't make sure that this process is brought up to speed for the millennials and the X's and the Y's whether it's electronic whether it's on a server whether it's an app whether it's then it's going to die so power all power to them if they can take this and by modifying it and by putting out a website and uh, keeping the interest uh, via technology, because if you don't update, uh, you're going to, um, again, date yourself as far as uh, influencing. And and honestly, I, I it's crazy because I each class now I'm asking when I use examples or references, um, I'm asking people, anybody remember Paul Harvey or anybody remember? And I'm getting about half the class now not raising their hand. And so I have a big decision to make. Do I? take a lot of time and update all my stuff to the current or do I just bow out like Johnny Carson did leave on top and I think it's going to be a well I think I think you can leave on top but I don't think it's time yet I don't well, think you're close on time yeah. on time on leaving I think you, I think you have a several more years in you but that's of course your choice well and and and, and what I've done so that I can keep that choice is hired my daughter and hired my nephew and we're putting out now the electronic version of the worksheet. And I'm not sure if I gave that to you when you took it, but um, but we're taking that to another level now to where it automatically uh, does the syncing with the corrective actions without you even knowing it by the causal code you pick and stuff. So I'm trying to make sure to stay up at least to the point where I can stay credible in the eyes of the customer. And so far the, the feedback has been, yes, that I am. Now, again, at the appropriate time, uh, I'd love to hand this off to the next generation and uh, and have them take it. And as long as they can stick to the philosophy, and that's the critical thing, as long as you can stick to that original philosophy of what this is about, then I think there's numerous ways that this can be presented. 
be very, very effective. Todd Conklin. Well, right now, it seems like you're trying to go back to origin to some extent. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a really good way in regards to... Let's not call it origin. Let's call it back to first principles. Okay, so let's say first principles. So this week, you and you know your core group have released something called Hop... What is... It? Oh, my God. I'm going I'm to mess this up real quick. Hophub.org. Hop-hub. And you're giving you're giving all of your information away. I was talking about PDF slides. Yeah, you imagine it. All the resources are there. Yeah, now that, that hasn't been something that we've seen a lot. I mean, we'll say that people give their stuff away, but you're you guys have decided to centralize one location, one stop shop. You go there, and everything's there. What was the decision behind that? Because why wouldn't you? Well, a lot of people are trying to. We'll say, quote unquote market their own versionality of this yeah but you all of a sudden said no we're taking what we've what we've been doing in books what we've been doing in presentations what we've been teaching throughout the years because that's really what it is and you said consortium here take it yeah because the ideas uh, arguing and forming and thinking about the ideas is way way more fun than writing the product the product is just a result of the thinking. So, so why you? Why would you? I mean, it's so nobody, nobody's had their own new ideas. Everybody's idea are a twist on somebody else's idea, and so we don't own those ideas. So, if we don't own those ideas, how can we? How can we sell? How can we monetize them? Why wouldn't you just give them away? I mean, because they're just ideas. I mean, and my hope is, is that if we give them away, then other people will take them and they'll do great things with them and they'll give them away again. And I, and I bet that's what happens. I mean, that's that's always what happens with good change. Is good change isn't something that you own. Good change is something that you give away, right? And, and the great thing about giving everything away is that you're giving it away. I mean, you don't have to worry about intellectual property or lawyers or who's, you know, who owns this slide or who owns that slide. Who cares? It's the ideas that matter. And so giving the ideas away makes us stronger and it makes us more interesting and it makes us more attractive. Well, so, I, mean, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but you have to understand there's also some people out there that have taken some of this information and they have marketed it as it's their own thing. There's even organizations that are out there, and I'm just going to reference this real quick. And I had told you this briefly in the past in a side conversation that there's people that have taken your stuff and put it behind a paywall where you yeah. have to pay to get there to get your information. That must it, be incredibly, it, that must be horribly disappointing when you pay and you're like, oh crap, it's just this. Right, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think you have anything to do with it on how it was set up, but I just find it interesting that, I'm not going to say that you're affecting other people's businesses, but other people have decided to go down that route where they're selling it and you're giving it away for free. And I understand that you want to change the, the industry and have that impact for people to use that information and change things. Now, as you're giving this away for free and you know that these things are going to change because there's going to be other independent thinkers that come that same direction and they start looking at it, what do you see that the outcome might end up being overall? I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't I mean, I think everyone could do what they want to do. Right. If you want to start a business and sell it, that's fine. If you can sell it, that's great. I mean, I, I support it. I want everyone to be successful. Um, that's but but at least for for me and really for the guys in the little hop up thing that we put together. And that's just, I mean, we just kind of came together as friends and put that together. We just decided the best way to handle it is just give it away for free. Um, 
don't know. It's it's really it's funny. It's not that big a deal to us. Well, you, you see, it's funny because you have to understand that there's other consultants that are out there that look at it and go, "You, the person that's really top tier," because the four of you guys are very well known within this industry. And you gave away your stuff for free, which is unheard of. It's almost like listening to when Bill Gates gave away his money. It's almost, it's almost has that same kind of impact on how other people are looking at it. I would say it's actually incredibly different to Bill. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean because you're giving away your intellectual property. The thing I would come back to you and tell you is that we never owned it to start with, and so it's it's not like we're giving stuff away. Like we said, okay, here we go. It's all free. It's, it was never ours to start with. And so we're just sort of passing it on, you know, here's, here's what we're looking, here's what we're thinking about and, uh, and see what you think about. And the great thing is that, you know, it'll, it'll change again. I mean, all that stuff that's up there is probably not, it's, I, I promise you it's not the latest version of my fundamentals class. Cause I had to redeck my fundamentals class to meet the new, five principles because too many people are saying well why'd you write a book about five principles and they're not in your class so they're not in my class don't worry we're not done yet there's more to the story so i'm done interviewing dr todd conklin and he turns around and he tells me the person really behind the hop hub out of his consortium group was andrea baker now, Andrea Baker has been on the show before, and I love the way that she teaches. I love the way that she speaks. She just says it in a method that it's, you feel like you're right there, and the way that she's telling you the information, it's applicable. So I decided to go ahead and start hunting down Andrea Baker. And here's what she had to say about her involvement with HopHub.org. So in talking, I figured out that Todd said you were the mastermind behind the whole thing. So I was oh, like, hmm. I don't think that that's true. Todd gives credit where credit isn't due. It was a definitely a joint, a joint decision. And, um, you know, between Todd, myself, Bob and Mark um, to make sure that anything that we had was accessible, which what was a little bit surprising, I think, to us is that the information we had was accessible before it just wasn't easily accessible so we would give it out to people all the time um but folks didn't know that it was available because it was you know harder to get to because they'd have to ask for it so well so right now as, as, right now there. as we yeah. speak you have it more as a consortium and it looks like everything that's kind of like the main files that you would normally find are actually there so when you decided to do it what was the thought process well, I, I have to give that thought process, like the genesis of it, I would definitely give credit to Todd because when when myself and Bob started learning from Todd originally, um, one of the things that he taught us really early on, um, as you know, as he was teaching the corporations that we were part of, is um, that this thought process isn't something that we would want anyone to own necessarily. Um, from his point of view, it was really something we'd want to be able to freely share, and so he freely shared. Um, his slides at the time with us, which is part of the reason why um, Bob and I were able to learn the information and then pass it on within our own corporation. So um, when we started doing this on our own, we just kind of followed in those footsteps. And um, it really is a, it, it's hard for me personally to want to take that information away from people since we know it can save lives. Um, so as, as free and open as we can be with it, seems like the best course of action 
Well, here's my question to you because somebody used this analogy and I want to see what you think behind it. You can go yeah. to the you can go to the internet and you can see a website that will have a recipe of your favorite recipe. Oh, excuse me, from your favorite restaurant, but mm-hmm. you might try to make it at home and it's not the same. So, do you feel that even though people might have access to these documentation, it might not be as good as if you or one of you four were actually coming out and helping an organization? Well, I mean, I think in general, it's um, it's a difficult concept for people to sort of understand if they weren't already thinking along this vein to begin with. Um, but if I would add to that analogy, imagine imagine that you're already, you've taken some cooking courses and you're pretty comfortable in the kitchen or, or maybe you just were self-taught and, and it was something that you like to do already and then you were able to get a recipe from someone. So I don't think it takes the place of people understanding the concepts, but there's a lot of different ways you can get proficient in something. Um, and I'm not sure that it, you know, is one one person in the world or two people or five people in the world or whoever are, are the the masters of the information that would you'd be required to learn from because there's a lot of chefs out there right so there's a lot of different people you can learn from or it might be something that you've just read a bunch about read a lot of really amazing thought leaders and and it would be helpful for you to have information in order to put it in words that would be easy to pass on to other people and then I guess my next question to you would be this. Do you feel that a lot of the information that's out there, people are just repackaging and kind of just changing the name and just using the same concept to something else? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have enough. Um, uh, you know, it certainly depends upon what you're looking what you're looking at, right? So I'm sure that happens. Um, you know, there's a lot of places, but, but that happens with everything, right? That happens with any commodity in the entire world. You know, folks will, well, any piece of information I we say that there's no, you know, fresh idea in the entire world. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm sure some of that's happening. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Um, I think it's just many different ways of passing on the same information. I think kind of the goal that at least the, the four of us have that I'm, I'm pretty confident we all feel very strongly about is that the more people that understand these concepts, the better off we're going to be. How they get that information, um, you know, is really up to up to them and. And then I'm sure there's many different paths that people could follow to, to get that information. And where do you think that we're going to end up going next, going down this path? Uh, in general, around, around top or yeah, which, round which top. piece? I mean. um, so my personal hope would be that we continue to learn from each other as, as organizations take these concepts and start to think about how do they how do they use them. And there's lots of places that are doing amazing things already. My hope would be that they become so embedded in how we are doing work that at some point this doesn't have a name anymore. Um, at some point, it's just kind of what we do. Um, that would be my hope as to the direction we're moving in, uh, where we'll have lots of names for it, and then at some point it will have no name because that's just how people do business. Welcome back. Normally, most people right now would give you a recap on how this ends and all that, but I don't really think that this is the end of the story. I really do appreciate the time that Shane Bush, Todd Conklin, Earl Carnes, Lamar Palmer, and Andrea Baker put into helping me with this miniseries. We're never going to get all of the information that took place in those beginning days. I would love to sit here and say that we could. And there's more people that were probably involved with this that we'll ever be able to interview or even get a hold of. Now, if you did pay close attention, there was a reference as we went through this path that Impo 
had put a lot of this information already together before the Department of Energy started to get involved. And I don't want this story to go without the unsung heroes of Tony Mashera and Rob Fisher. Those are names that keep on coming up when we're talking about interacting with the info side. So I want to make sure that they are referenced on here. A lot of the information discussed on this little mini-series has been based on the Department of Energy or the DOE. I'm sure in time, I will release these episodes in their full entirety in regards of how the interviews were performed and what was said at the time. Some of them are several hours long, some of them are short. So in time, I'm sure we will release them. What I would ask is that you do the research into the information, understand it clearly. There's so much data that's out there, but make sure that you are following what the original documents were supposed to say and what they, not really what they were supposed to say, what they actually do say. And don't fall into this versionalities that are out there that don't go based on the original information. Things always do change, don't get me wrong here, but I think sometimes we're missing some of the data. I'll tell you, I'm not gonna be able to solve people's problems. I don't look at it and go, oh yes, I, I went to the forefathers and I will be able to solve it. Nope, I look at it and go, I was able to learn things on this mini series that I would have never been able to learn otherwise. All I can say is thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this mini series. Hopefully you did enjoy it. I had all kinds of fun attempting to put it together, getting in contact with these people and being able to spend countless hours in regards of listening to what happened back then when everything was being built. I am grateful for the people that came on. I'm grateful for the audience who have been listening to the last few episodes in regards of what's going on. As always, you can come to us here at Safety FM. Go to safetyfm.com for more information. We're always streaming 24-7 right there. From time to time, we do jump on, do some live events. We also are available on the Google Play app and also the Apple app. In regards, you can download it directly onto your phone and available, as always, on the Alexa skill. For right now, I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen, and I'm internally grateful for you, the listener. Until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com Wow, how things can change from one week to the next. 
Hey, hope everybody out there is staying healthy. I know everything is super crazy. We feel disoriented by the COVID-19 virus. It's more important than ever to stay connected and check in with your loved ones. That's why I'm so happy I've got T-Mobile. Listen, T-Mobile isn't just talking the talk. They're taking measures right now to make life easier for everyone by doing the right thing for their customers during this really critical time. For example, T-Mobile has ensured all current customers with data plans have access to unlimited smartphone data on their network for two months. We're all in this together. T-Mobile truly believes that. And while many T-Mobile stores are temporarily closed to help keep customers and employees healthy, they've still got you covered with any help you need. Just check out T-Mobile.com. You can see what stores are still open and how you can manage your account online. Stay safe out there. During congestion, customers using more than 50 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds prioritization. Video typically at 480p, capable device required.